What's going on guys and welcome to another episode of the Raptors Community Podcast. Today we're going to be talking a little bit of NBA play-in tournament predictions and some series predictions because we already know four of the series in the NBA. Obviously we don't know the 1-8 and 2-7 on each side because of the play-in tournament, but I'm going to give my predictions for um, those series in the middle because I think they're a little more interesting than, than the top seeds playing those bottom seeds. Uh, but maybe I'll give a little insight into some of those matchups as well through the play-in tournament, like who I want to see come out and who I think can actually uh, challenge a team. I think the Lakers is the big one. Uh, maybe the Warriors I'm going to chat about as well. The Wizards too. I think those are some of the interesting teams in the play-in tournament. But without further ado, let's start with the play-in tournament predictions. And we're going to start with the Eastern Conference here. Um, and so the first game I'm going to talk about is the Hornets Pacers playing in that 9-10 spot. Um, my prediction for who's going to win this game is going to be Tuesday, uh, by the way, for those, uh, wondering the timing of things and I'm going with the Indiana Pacers. And I think one of the big reasons why is that the Charlotte Hornets, in my opinion, this season have been punching above their weight a little bit. Uh, and honestly going up against a veteran team like the Indiana Pacers with Sabonis playing really well lately, uh, is just a really tough matchup for them. One of the big questions for me, though, for the Pacers is, will they have Malcolm Brogdon? He's been sidelined uh, the last little while, and I think that would be a huge loss if they don't have him as a guy who can do it on both ends in slowing down LaMelo Ball or Terry Rozier, whoever's hot really in that game, a guy who I worry about if I were the Pacers would be Terry Rozier, uh, while also giving it back on the other end. Uh, One of the things I also wonder with the Pacers themselves is um, how... Like, strong is that dysfunction there? Because as we know, Nate Bjorkren uh, used to be the Raptors' assistant coach, is now their head coach. And there's been rumors coming out that um, the players do not like him and that there's some weird power complex going on there. But I guess the question there is, you know, like I said, is can they get past that and push towards that eight seed like they're trying to do? And either way, I'm going to just ride with them because I think they're the better team. They're the veteran team. And they'll show up to this game. Whereas with the the Hornets, you never know where you're going to get. Right? They might play really well. They might play terrible. And for that reason, I'm going to stay away. And I'm going to pick the Indiana Pacers in that game. The next one is Celtics-Wizards. Simply put, the Celtics have been terrible this season. And have struggled on the defensive end. Uh, And they don't have a lack of... Sorry, they have a lack of depth and talent on the roster as well. Right besides Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, there hasn't been a lot of great production consistently from anyone else on the roster. Uh, Peyton Pritchard has been on and off. I think Time Lord's been pretty good from time to time, and Kemba Walker has been an anomaly. Uh, Marcus Smart's been really bad as well. He's really having a down year for them on both ends of the floor. And I think that Kemba struggling is going to give them problems getting out of this playing tournament in and of itself. And not having Jalen Brown for the rest of the season is going to really suck as well. Uh, the Wizards, on the other hand, are 17-7 and since April 1st and are playing the best basketball of their entire season. So I'm going to ride with the Wizards, uh, the Red Hot Wizards. And I think they're going to take down the Celtics pretty handily in that game. And the, Celt- and the Wizards have been playing uh, playoff-level basketball for the last month as they've been trying, month plus as they've been trying to push back from being, you know, the 11th, 12th seed all the way into this playing tournament. And they've done really well lately. They're playing Russ basketball where he runs the offense. Uh, They play with a fast pace, get open looks. Obviously, they space the floor with three-point shooters. And then they've got some good vets and guys like Robin Lopez uh, who can, you know, play really good 
on both ends of the floor and especially uh, as a guy who can get rebounds and, and get some buckets once in a while for them. But I think that, like I said, the Wizards would be an interesting team. Uh, and speaking of the Eastern Conference, I think they'd be an interesting matchup against either Philadelphia because of the Embiid-Westbrook situation there uh, in terms of not really liking each other, or the Westbrook uh, Kevin Durant sort of thing, obviously being ex-teammates back in the OKC days. I think that would be uh, either one would have an amazing storyline, would be a fun series. I wouldn't pick the Washington Wizards. And in fact, I don't really think it matters what two teams come out of these this playing tournament in the East. I think that the two top seeds in the Eastern Conference are going to win no matter what. Uh, and before transitioning to the Western Conference, I'm going to do my playoff series predictions for the Eastern Conference since we're already here. And so let's start with the Bucks Heat because I think this is the more interesting matchup. Um, obviously, they played each other last season in the playoffs, and the Bucks are looking for revenge against the Heat after getting embarrassed last season. And I mean embarrassed, losing in five. Basically should have been swept in the bubble. But I think that the Bucks have addressed some of their issues from last year, adding Drew Holiday as another guy down the stretch. You trusted the ball. And Giannis is a guy who's gotten better last year in terms of stretching out his game and and really stretching his game inside the arc specifically, right? His three ball hasn't gotten better really this season, but he's taking less shots from three and he's attacking the paint more. Um, he's taking more jump hooks. He's added to his mid-range as like a fading little jumper. I see him do a lot of the time, a little post fade. So he's added to his versatility in that low post area and also in the mid post uh, as a guy who can face up, he can run by you, or he can post you up and, and hit you with one of these these little counters that he has. Uh, and as a passer, he's also very solid with uh, guys that he can eke out to if they build a wall. And Drew Holiday, a guy you trust, and also Middleton, a 50-40-90 level guy as well. So I think that they're a much better team than they were last season, and the bubble was their worst-case scenario. Now they're going to be playing at home for a few games. You've got fans coming back, sort of. So I think they're going to have a lot of um, good stuff there, but the Miami Heat, despite their struggles, are still the fourth best team in the East, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that with Jimmy Butler healthy, anything can happen. They've got arguably the best player uh, in the closing minutes of a game, not necessarily the first 46, but those last two minutes. I think I trust Jimmy Butler with the ball in his hands over Giannis personally, as a guy who can pass, a guy who can shoot if he needs to, and just supreme confidence too, a guy that doesn't really have many weaknesses. And I think for that reason, I think if it goes seven games, I think I would take the Miami Heat to win. So I'm going to pick the Bucks to win in six games in the series. And I feel like the the Bucks are just going to want it more as a team that's out there to prove everyone wrong. Um, and I'm also a big Giannis fan too, so I'm a little biased here. But that's the team I'm rolling with. Uh, last year I picked the Heat in seven. They won in five. So now I'm going to pick the Bucks in six this year. The next series is the Knicks-Hawks series, and this should be a fun, exciting series. Two teams that we haven't seen in the playoffs in a while, um, and both teams have been really good the last month and a bit of the season. Since April 1st, they've both been um, about as good as the Wizards, like I said, 17-7. and They're in that same uh, ballpark, and I think this is going to be a dogfight of a series, but my pick, which might surprise people, is Atlanta to win in seven. And I think that offensively, they are just a much more diverse team than the Knicks, who feel like they heavily rely on Julius Randle and Derrick Rose to really produce for them. Whereas with the Hawks, you've got a lot more options than Trey Young. You've got Bogdanovich. You've got Gallinari. I think they'll miss Cam Reddish a bit defensively as a guy who may not come back in time. But I believe that they're the better team and arguably have the best raw player in Trey Young, despite the amazing season from Julius Randle. I think they're both in the same uh, ballpark 
sort of space in terms of talent level and I, I don't know who I trust more but I guess this series will sort of determine who's the better player between the two before I move to the west just a quick break all right we are back and now we're going to talk western conference play-in and western conference playoff series predictions uh, let's start with Lakers Warriors the more interesting game between the two obviously the 7-8 playing each other and I think that Steph Curry can single-handedly swing this game in their favor given how good he's been I think he had over 40 points again last night shot 22 threes uh, to get his team the win and push them into that eight seed over the Memphis Grizzlies um, once again Steph Curry one of the most polarizing players in the game I think the Lakers are going to trap him a lot, send a lot of doubles his way, and really make anyone else beat them. But on the other end is where I really think they're going to struggle. Right? The Warriors uh, have been really good lately because they've been playing small ball with either Kevon Looney at the 5 or Draymond Green at the 5. And I really think they won't be able to contain Anthony Davis specifically, but also Andre Drummond on the offensive glass, and even LeBron as he drives into the paint. He's just going to have so much space, uh, no big guys in there to really affect the game. They're going to be switchable, but I think those big guys are going to be able to really take advantage. Uh, this should be the most fun game of the playing tournament, but I'm going to ride with the Lakers to win this one, and I think they're going to end up taking that seven seed. Um, and if they were to play the Suns, I think the Lakers would win that series. I think the Lakers would also beat uh, either team. They should be the favorite, in my opinion, uh, to win that series, as long as LeBron is pretty healthy, which we saw him tweak his ankle, but he looks like he's okay. Um he says that he's good, but he like tweaked at the end of that Pelicans game uh, that they won. So I think they can uh, win either of those series. And for the Warriors, I actually think they're an interesting team to match up against the Utah Jazz, specifically because I've seen them play them really close. Um, obviously, they're a really offensively deep team, but I think they're going to really run Rudy Gobert in that pick and roll, make them uh, switch on to Curry. And Curry's going to really take advantage of that. Uh, we saw him do that a lot against JV last game. And he's just so quick on that perimeter. Can really run around screens. They run a lot of off-ball action for him. And even just dribble handoffs. Simple things like that. That's going to lead to a lot of uh, bad situations for Rudy Gobert. And as a result, I think that series would be really fun to watch. Uh, and I think either of these two teams in a playoff series can challenge those top two seeds. But like I said, going to take the Lakers to win in that game. And then Grizzlies-Spurs. I just don't feel like the Spurs have enough fired power to win this game despite having DeMar DeRozan. I think that if he decides to go crazy, there's a chance they can win. But they'll need something heroic from him. And when the game gets tight, I just feel like John Morant, Jonas Valanciunas, and those guys uh, will somehow find a way to win. I just like the, the Grizzlies. I think that their loss last season to the Blazers in the playing tournament is really going to resonate with them in terms of getting reps, whereas the Spurs' young roster doesn't really have any. Despite seeming like a veteran team, they really aren't going to have many veterans besides DeRozan uh, and obviously Greg Popovich. So I'm going to ride with the Memphis Grizzlies to win that game and probably have an interesting uh, matchup for the 8th seed with the loser of Lakers-Warriors. Now let's go to the playoff series predictions for them. Uh, there's two series that are obviously already set in stone we got the Nuggets Blazers as the first one we're going to talk about this is a rematch from a couple years ago um when the I think this was in 2019 when the Raptors won the championship you had Harden and the Rockets against the Warriors when KD gets injured and then on the other side of that bracket you had Nuggets Blazers where the Blazers won in seven games I believe 
Um, and I think that the Nuggets are really going to miss Jamal Murray in this series, even though they've got the MVP in Jokic. Uh, and I'm saying MVP because he's the lock to win it. I'm going to take the Blazers to win in seven. Jokic is going to be a big problem for Nurkic defensively. But other than that, I don't think they'll get enough out of Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., those role guys who need to um, really perform well, right? They're going to play way too much uh, of these guys. And I just don't think they've got the depth uh, to really mask the loss of Jamal Murray in this series just as an isolation scorer, a guy who can also make plays. Um, and I just think uh, Facundo Campazzo is going to play too much in this series, whereas you've got Damon CJ on the other end are really going to be taking it to him and to them defensively. Uh, I just think the Blazers have more offensive firepower, and I think both these teams aren't great defensively, and as a result, I'm going to ride with Dame, CJ, Nurkic, Norman Powell, uh, that squad, and I think they're going to take this series in seven games. Maybe even less. We'll see. Next one is Clippers-Mavericks, uh, rematch of last season. I think that the Mavs can't match up defensively to them. And just like last year, most of their issues haven't really been addressed, right? They've got the exact same roster, basically, uh, whereas the Clippers have actually made some adjustments and arguably are a better team than last year with, uh, you know, they have less pressure. That's a big thing. Last year, it was all this um, battle of LA was looming over them and they really couldn't come through against the, the Nuggets in that series. But I think the addition of Rondo to fill in that playmaking slash ball movement role and the guy who is a bit of a voice out there is going to be really big for them. Then I also think that adding Serge Ibaka, hopefully he's healthy and ready for the playoffs, uh, is going to be a guy that will fill that glue, that glue sort of spot as a guy who can shoot mid-range jumpers, can shoot the three ball, and most importantly is going to hold people honest and accountable in this on this team. And for that reason, I'm going to pick the Clippers to win in five games and really just blow this series up. I think Luka's going to have one magical game where he goes off, but I'm taking the Clippers to, to get through this round pretty quickly and be sitting there waiting for whoever's next. That's sort of it on the general NBA talk. Um, next segment we'll be talking about is the Toronto Raptors player grades. I'm going to go through every player on the roster, talk about their grades, how they played the season. Uh, but before that, just another quick break. All right, we're back with our final segment before our guest comes in, and we're going to chat a little bit more about some uh, his business, how boxing influences basketball, and uh, talk a little bit about some of the golden days for the Raptors. But let's talk player grades. And the first thing that I want to talk about is my logic behind the grades. And so the first thing is that a B means that that player met their expectations for the season from the moment of getting them. So whether it's like Trent Jr., Powell Birch, uh, all these guys that we got at these certain different time intervals in the season or from the beginning of the season when I was like, hey, I think Pascal is going to do this and he finishes the season with this sort of resume of what happened. This is how it ranks compared to what I expected, right? I'm not just going to rank them being like, Siakam's our best player, so he gets the highest grade or Van Vliet's the best player. So I'm giving like uh, a little bit more disparity, which is the right way to do it versus what I've seen other people do, which is give all the role guys C's. Well, that's not really fair. So let's start with Pascal Siakam. I think that overall the team in the Toronto Raptors underachieved in late game situations. They lost most every close game that they played in. And a lot of this unfortunately falls on the shoulders of their best player being Pascal Siakam, right? Because he had the ball in his hands a lot of the time in these situations. He had a lot of poor turnovers and poor late game execution in terms of missing shots. Uh, we all know the compilation of missed shots that have been accumulated this year from him. Um, and despite this, he had a really good season, right? He had a 44-point game. 
He averaged 21.4 points per game, 7.2 rebounds, and 4.5 assists. He played 56 out of the 72 games. Um, but all of his stats did unfortunately drop off from what I predicted prior to the season. I thought he was going to have close to like 23.5 points per game. Uh, I thought around 7 rebounds. And similarly, the the thing that he actually did improve in was his shooting from the field. Uh, he did better than I expected. His free throw shooting as well. And his assist per game too. He became a better passer than I thought he would be. Um, but his three ball was off all season and that definitely took a step back. So overall, I gave him a B minus, meaning he slightly um, was lower than my expectations where some of his stuff was above what I expected, but most of it uh, unfortunately was not as good as I thought. But all in all, he did have a really good season. I think just the B minus is fair given the, the way the team performed in the clutch and the latter half of his season really helped carry his grade back up. The next guy, Fred Van Vliet. He averaged 19.6 points per game, 4.2 rebounds per game, 6.3 assists per game, and he took a leap last season, given more responsibility with the ball in his hands. Uh, we saw a jump in his usage rate, right? He had the ball more when he was on the court, and he was able to still distribute the ball at a high level, even with this increased defensive attention he's got getting as a starter. And in the 52 games he played, he had a 54-point night, which is a, a record for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, his efficiency did drop off a lot this season, though. And prior to the season, he did not really meet most of my expectations. Uh, but given his growth and the circumstances that they played under, I gave him a B plus. I think the 54-point game is a big reason why, uh, showing his potential, what he can do as a scorer. And overall, I think he had a really, really solid season. The next guy is Kyle Lowry. He only ended up playing 46 games, but he averaged 17.2 points per game, 7.3 assists per game, 5.4 rebounds per game, and honestly, statistically, had a solid season. When you watch on the court, it didn't seem like he was playing this well, but he actually did uh, have a really good season early on. Uh, obviously, it felt like he sort of checked out a bit late in the season. As the team started to tank, they sort of just sidelined him more than it was his own choice, but... Honestly, like I said, that's true for everyone in the roster, especially the starters. Didn't really get much opportunity late in the season as uh, playoffs were out of picture near the end. But overall, I think he exceeded my expectations and had a great season, so I gave him a B-plus as well. Uh, the next guy is Norman Powell. For the part of the season he was with the Raptors, he averaged 19.6 points per game, 3 rebounds, nearly 2 assists. He took a significant leap as a scorer, nearly being a 50-40-86 guy. Uh, and since joining the Blazers, he's at 17 points per game, and it seems like he's taken a step back shooting the, the ball from three. Overall, I was impressed by his play with Toronto. He had a 43-point game where he hit eight threes on 14 of 18 shooting, uh, and all this trade value led to us being able to acquire Gary Trent Jr. for him. So I gave him an A. I think he had a really good season, with Toronto especially. For Gary Trent Jr. joining Toronto, he averaged 16.2 points per game. Uh, we saw a three-point shooting drop-off between here and him being... In um, Portland, right, he's shot 39.7% in Portland for the first bit of the season. And then with the Toronto Raptors in just 17 games, he shot around 36%. Uh, he had a 44-point game. He had a game winner, as we know. And he made a huge contribution in just 17 games. He's a dog on defense. Um, he did not shoot very efficiently. He was under 40% with Toronto, so he wasn't very efficient. But I gave him a B plus because I think uh, he had an immense impact in the games he did play. For Aaron Baines, I gave him a D, straight up. He had a big drop-off in scoring. He struggled in the pick-and-roll defensively, and the Raptors were forced to drop the big in a lot of matchups, which led to a lot of open threes for the modern-day shooter. And 
Honestly, it was uh, a big reason why the Raptors' defense was bad. Their staple in Gasol and Ibaka were gone, and instead you had Aaron Baines and Boucher, who I'm going to get to in a bit. But they both struggled defensively. I think especially Aaron Baines led to a lot of open threes. He went from 11.5 points per game last season with the Phoenix Suns to 6 points per game with Toronto. I think we had unrealistic expectations of him. Um, He only shot 26% from three compared to 35% last year. So, yeah, I gave him... um, a D for that for this season. I don't think he he really did great. <clears throat> the next guy is Nick Nurse. Uh, I think it's hard to evaluate a coach given that you only see so much as a fan watching the game. But I don't think a lot of the blame will go to him. I think there was a lack of talent on the bench, and the multiple different rotations and lineups that he had to deal with was a struggle. Uh, early in the season, I felt like the the game plan was shoot as many threes as you can, which I didn't like. And I felt like he also didn't give a lot of rope to guys like Terrence Davis, O'Shea Brissett, these people, uh, Matt Thomas, who we see now thriving in other situations. So I ended up just giving him a B. I think a B- is fair as well in that range, but I I end up sticking with a B, thinking he had a a pretty good season overall. But like I said, some stuff to critique for next season. Uh, Next guy is Chris Boucher. Uh, He was given more opportunity this year, right? And he actually salvaged that opportunity. He was early in the MIP race and even six man of the year, really early in the year. He was playing really, really well Uh, late in the season. He cooled off and then he had that sprayed in MCL, unfortunately, but overall I felt like he did really, really well offensively and he was great protecting the rim. Um, His one-on-one defense at the five spot was not good. He's obviously undersized and had a lot of silly fouls as well. Uh, He averaged nearly 14 points per game, seven rebounds, shot 38% from three, and had almost two blocks per game. I gave him an A. There's nothing else I could do. He had an amazing season compared to what I expected of him. Uh, I think he really did take a significant leap as a player, and I'm really excited to see what he can do next to a guy like Ken Birch playing more for next season. Next guy is OG Ananobi. Uh, He took a leap this season, no question about it. 15.9 points per game, five and a half rebounds per game over two assists and one and a half steals. And he solidified himself as an all defensive candidate when he was healthy. Unfortunately, he only played 43 games. So I don't think he's going to end up making all defense, but he definitely exceeded my expectations. So I gave him a B plus. Uh, he maintained really good efficiency from the floor compared to last season while given more of a role as a ball handler and scorer. So those are the main 10 people uh, that I wanted to cover there. I believe that was 10, maybe nine, but uh, now I'm going to go through a bunch of the bench guys. It's going to be a little quicker. Uh, Ken Birch, he gets an A. He averaged 5-5 five and five in Orlando and went to 12-7.5 and, and with Toronto. Uh, he's a very good center, and he fits in the role as a mobile big for Toronto, which really helped improve their defense and honestly was a class act all around. He averaged over one block per game, and he was able to take a lot of minutes from uh, Aaron Baines, which was much needed, as a, a competent five, and he really did well in his 30 minutes per game with Toronto. The next guy, Stanley Johnson, I give him a B plus. He he's been a solid role guy. I think he definitely has exceeded my expectations a little bit lately. I didn't think he would play at all, but he's been getting quality minutes and has uh really proven to be like a class act player in, you know, just wanting to contribute to winning, wanting to be a role guy and accepting that role. Uh, Malachi Flynn, I think that prior to the season and preseason, I didn't expect much of him. I thought he was gonna be on the bench most of the season. Like I said, maybe he'd get, be playing in the G League, but he actually got uh, a significant role with the team and had multiple 20-point games in April and now in May as well. So I gave him a B plus. I think he definitely exceeded my expectations and has shown a lot of promise as a, a future point guard for Toronto. Next guy is DeAndre Bembry. I gave him a B-. I think he was slightly worse than I expected. 
Uh, I was pretty excited when they signed him, but he didn't really get to play a lot. He was solid when he did play, though. So I think just a B- is fine. The next guy is Jalen Harris. Uh, we didn't get to see him a lot. I just gave him a B. Right, We didn't get to see him a lot as the 59th pick overall. Late in the season, he was good. He had a 30-point game. Um, definitely showed some promise as an offensive jewel. Just as a guy who can get buckets, that's that's what he does as a big guard. Uh, Ronnie Hood, I expected him to give us something. He averaged four points per game. I gave him a C. Uh, Freddie Gillespie, I think he exceeded my expectations. I didn't know who he was when he signed with us. Uh, he's averaged five and five and a block. He was a solid role guy and really did, like I said, exceed my expectations. So I gave him a B plus. The last guy that's currently on the Raptors, Utah Watanabe, another solid role guy, good energy. Uh, unfortunately, his season is defined by that Anthony Edwards dunk, but I think he had at least one 20-point game and was a really good role player for being undrafted, so I gave him a B-plus as well that he punched above his weight a little bit and actually was a player who got spark minutes with the Raptors off the bench. Um, as for Paul Watson, he barely played, so I have no grade for him really. Uh, when he did play, he was a bucket, that's for sure. Great shooter. Uh, Davis and Matt Thomas, I gave them both Cs. They weren't really given a lot of opportunity, and when they played, they didn't really seem to salvage it. Um, in Utah and Sacramento, uh, Thomas and Davis, respectively, have had really good outputs and have been given more opportunity, and they've salvaged that. But with Toronto, I felt they didn't really have much that they were providing, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so that's it for my player rankings. Coming up next, I have a special guest coming on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the glory days of the Raptors, and then a bit about his business, which is the connection between boxing and basketball. Today on the podcast, I got a very, very special guest. His name is Christian, and he runs his own company called K-Pad Performance. And what they basically do to summarize before he jumps in in depth, um, they basically integrate basketball and boxing together and really try and showcase the the connection between those two skills. So, uh, Christian, thanks a lot for joining me. I appreciate your time. Yeah, first and foremost, I want to thank you for the opportunity to share my story. Um, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, and I support the page and the podcast and everything you guys have going on. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, speaking of which, do you want to talk a little bit more about what you do? I obviously gave like a two-second overview, but, yeah, you want to give a rundown of uh, exactly what you guys do? Yeah, of course. So, uh, essentially, we do boxing training for basketball players. Um with my personal story, um, I played basketball my entire life, and uh, being a smaller point guard, five 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 six, and playing high level basketball, I realized the boxing training really gave me certain benefits on the court. It, it really enhanced certain skill sets, and uh, the reason why I came up with this idea was because the past couple of years I've seen elite, established NBA players get into boxing. So, for example, Damian Lillard, Demar Derozan, Joel Embiid. And I looked up the trainers and I thought about it and all these trainers were boxing trainers. So they, they know the ins and outs of boxing. They're, they're masters at the sport. I was only, I was the only one at the time that I, that I knew that was doing boxing and basketball at a high level, you know, being a student and being around players who play at a high level, youth sports, OCA and competing. So I thought to myself, um, I have that experience. If I get certain basketball players, I could really explain how it's going to transition on the court. And if you follow my page, you know, I really go through everything, um, just the footwork, hand-eye coordination, uh, the mental fortitude from the boxing, transition to the basketball court. And uh, I've been very lucky and I'm grateful to be able to work with uh, a few G League players, a bunch of U Sports players. And uh, I plan to get to the NBA level 
hopefully soon within the next couple of years. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you mentioned that it builds like these certain skill sets that translate. Do you want to like dive into maybe exactly some, some of the skill sets that people uh, that translate directly between the two? You obviously mentioned Damian Lillard, some of these high level guys mm-hmm. that boxing has improved. Like what kind of skills do you think uh, really get enhanced when you do this kind of boxing training? Well, number one, for sure, is uh, the cardio and endurance. Car- the cardio and endurance for boxing is on a different level. Every elite player I brought in, even when I first started myself when I was younger, you're exhausted after one or two rounds, which is about six minutes. In comparison to, I'm sure you play hoops too, and you know a bunch of hoopers, um, even just rec hoopers, they could play a full game or two games for two, three hours and go on and off the court like nothing. But boxing, within the first four or five minutes, you're completely exhausted. So if you could kind of master the boxing training, your endurance will go up to a, a different level. And that's something I noticed firsthand. Um, a couple other major points that boxing does is uh, definitely the hand-eye coordination, the timing, the reflexes. Um, for example, in basketball, if you know a player's playing too close to you, you know, you're reaching a lot, you, you bait them out and you go by them. So you set them up, really. Uh, in boxing, the same thing. If you know a fighter's aggressive, you're going to bait them out. You're going to put your head out there so he throws a punch and then you counter, just like basketball. Little things here and there. Um, footwork, footwork's a huge thing, too. It makes you very light on your feet. Uh, it builds up your lateral movements. Um, and it's an incredible incredible sport to enhance your skill set if you already know how to play basketball. So if you already have the foundation of a basketball player, you're playing at a, a decent level, um, boxing is just going to enhance everything that you already know. And uh, everyone who I work with, they love it so far. So, Yeah, and, and you mentioned that a lot of the nuances that you kind of develop are in the space of like footwork and a lot of that is required to blow by defenders, sort of like what you'd be if you were a guard. Do you find that a lot of your customers are guards or you think you get a lot of big men too? Uh, to be honest, uh, I get a bit of every position. Like I've worked with um, a big man who got drafted by Miami Heat. He's from, he's from Toronto. He's 6'11", so that's the biggest guy I work with. And he, he adapted very, very quick. Um, I work with uh, Simi from Burlington. He's about 6'9", I think 6'10". He plays for the Chicago Bulls G League team too. Um, and my main guy who I got my first client who plays at that, that next level. So G league level, uh, was Negus Webster Chan. He adapted very quick. He's a point guard, but he's a big point guard. He's six, eight, six, seven. So I really don't think size matters. I think it's about understanding the terminology. So with me playing basketball, I'm able to really put myself in their shoes and they can kind of relate to me. So you mentioned that you've had some guys in the G league and a lot of them resonate with you. Uh, Mm -hmm. How did you get to the G League level? There's probably a lot of people, uh, just like we were years ago, that want to get into either maybe being uh, a fitness trainer in the sports science industry or people like me who want to, like, grow an Instagram page. Do you have any advice on how to get to that level? Because you've obviously reaped a lot of uh, success. Uh, Getting to the G League level alone is huge, like, big problem on that, Christian. Like, so to get to that level. Uh, Do you have any advice for the people out there trying to maybe grow their business like that? Well, yeah, advice for business and just with life in general. The, na- the main thing is to truly believe in what you're doing. I truly believed in it without a doubt. I just knew it's a matter of time before I get to these players. I was just very fortunate that it happened so soon. So I'm extremely grateful. The universe blessed me with opportunities fairly soon, sooner than expected. But at the end of the day, I really believed in it because I learned from mistakes and flaws in my athletic career as well, too. Um and I realized when I was doing boxing that it helped me out. So I was thinking, why would it not help out other players? So look back on your personal life. 
um, any mistakes you made, you know, you want to help others. You know, the idea is to serve others. But another point is, so number one is believe in yourself. Number two is just go for it. Just do it. Don't, the reason I got with these players was uh, literally just through social media. We're, we're in an age where um, you could reach out to someone through DM, um, through their network and whatnot. And then once you get one person to believe in you, give you a chance, if you do a good job, others come. So when I got Negus Webster Chan, um, I sent him a DM and he, he was all for it. He was a little bit skeptical at the beginning, understandably so. My page is very, you know, limited, it was smaller, but he liked it a lot. And then within a week, he came back. Within the second week, he was bringing me his ex-teammates from college. So every time I trained them, I would market it on social media like crazy. So really, you know, really just record everything, put it out there for the world to see and uh, believe in what you're doing and be positive. Yeah, you make a great point about going for it. And, going for it, exactly. uh, and that's something that I can relate to. Um, you know, two years ago, I probably, uh, two, three years ago, I didn't have a page at all. Like I had nothing from that perspective. So I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to, you know, do it one day. And then I started doing it. Luckily, they went deep in the playoffs. I was able to build momentum. And then suddenly now it's like one of the biggest fan pages on Instagram for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, so awesome. going for it, like you said, is huge. And mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. you can't fear competition either, right? There's tons of fitness trainers out there. You kind of crafted your own niche. Exactly. Uh, crafted Us, yeah. Your own niche. yeah, exactly. So uh, my one question to you is, like, with me, I still have a school that I do. I still have a, a job that I do. Uh, so my question to you is, did you quit your job to pursue this, or is this something you do on the side? Um, before I get into that, I just wanted to add on one point that you mentioned, is uh, yeah. try to develop a niche. So try to figure out a way how you could be a bit different, a bit unique. Um, it's something that you have to think of yourself, be creative. Uh, that will definitely make things a bit easier, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in regards, in regards to your next question, um, so I actually started this when p- the pandemic hit. So uh, it was a uh, pandemic hit about last March. Around May, my, my job was slowing down, right? So I had a lot more free time and I, I just I came up with the idea and the weather was nice too. So everything kind of aligned. The weather was nice. I had a place to work out outside and I just kind of went from there. Uh, and, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Wow. From March, that's um, a very short timeline. So in one year you've already had yeah, tons yeah. of success. Wow. That's actually crazy. I didn't think you'd been doing it that, that short time. That's... No, to be honest, uh, <laughs> awesome. for, this is, this is not, this is nothing like I never want to boast or anything. I'm very yeah. grateful, but for anyone who's listening, any of the young guys who have visions, um, I was able to get G League players within three weeks. So that's just by me. And I was nervous too. Don't get me wrong. I was nervous to reach out to just random players just through DM. Um, but you never know. One of them might actually be like, you know what? Let's go for it. It's all about taking chances on yourself, believing in yourself and, and going for it. Like my mind was telling me, my conscience was telling me, oh, they're not going to listen. Like, you know, it's not going to work out. Um, these guys probably have the trainers themselves. Like, why are you even wasting your time? You have to kind of fight those thoughts and then just literally do it. Like, don't give those thoughts too much energy and just go for it. And then good things will happen. If you get rejected, it's okay. You just keep going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I've had many, um, like, you know, people only see that I have, you know, interviews. And like you said, boasting about it. Uh, you're allowed to flex, all right, man? You, you, Chris, you're allowed to flex a little bit. You've worked hard. You can show off your rewards. It's all good. But, uh, yeah, like, I've also worked very hard in getting, I got Malcolm Miller and Jack Armstrong on the podcast. But that's not the only people I've reached out to. I've reached out to right. many 
different people and you know some stick some don't i've been reaching out to a couple others uh, i'm trying to get freddie gillespie on soon that's awesome. like the one awesome. next one that i think is like a nice fun guy uh to get on there but yeah you know you, you reach out you, you keep inquiring and the worst they can do is say no right if you're in this customer service sort of environment that you are like you're selling this product to them right Absolutely. this the service so yeah mm-hmm. at the end of the day you really can't fear it right and you so inspirational in your story because like you said a year ago your jobs are slowing down then you just picked this up and now you're reaping the rewards and it's just the beginning for you man this is just the thank beginning you. thank you so much i appreciate it speaking of which from the beginning to the end well what's your end goal here like what do you where do you see this this going maybe uh what's your like end goal with with your company yeah so uh funny enough like i actually shocked myself but I was going through old videos. Um, I remember back in 2017, I was working in a corporate position and I was like pretty miserable there. Like I just, I hated the work. And uh, sometimes my friend convinced me, I thought it was kind of corny, but to do like video journalism to myself. And uh, I was actually watching a video and I didn't even realize that, but I actually had this vision three years ago. I was like, I want to combine like my two passions, which is boxing and basketball, somehow bring it together. And uh, one day I want to work with the top guys in the NBA. I don't know how it's going to work, but I want to, I want to work with top players in the NBA. And then 2018, 2019 hit. I guess that video was subconsciously in the back of my mind. I forgot about it. But I realized, I kept seeing on Instagram, like these guys are training boxing. Like you can search NBA players boxing. There's so many, so many. And then that's, sure. where, that's where it inspired me with the idea. Um, my end goal always was, my, my end goal now is to get, to make my page established for not just one or two NBA players, but for all the NBA players interested in boxing, I want to be that guy. So kind of like Lethal Shooter, Handle Life, they have a niche where they get all these NBA players who work with them. I want to be the go-to boxing trainer for NBA players. Um, and not to dive too deep into it, but it's not just for, you know, I want to work with these successful players, et cetera, et cetera. I do know that if my page gets big enough, I have credibility and this means that the young kids who, who, who watch my page, they will listen to my stories. Um, I have a lot of personal stories that I think will help these kids grow regarding confidence, inner belief, you know, pushing through adversity. And I know with a platform that's big enough, they will actually listen. So my long-term goal is to work with the NBA players to build up my platform, doing what I love. You know, obviously I love the game so much. It's an honor to work with these players. But at the end of the day, it's a platform I'm going to use to benefit these children. Cause I didn't have that person guiding me. So that's my end goal. Hey man, anytime you have a story, you're welcome here to chat about it. I know you're honestly, what you said today is really motivating. And uh, you mentioned how you want to be the go-to guy in the, in the boxer space for specifically basketball players. Do you feel like you're the only person combining the two things right now? Or do you feel like there's competition above you, below you? Or do you think like you're the one guy that's uh, on this, like kind of connected the two together? Truly speaking, I think I'm the only guy. I've done my research. I've, I looked online and I've seen other, the thing is I've seen other basketball players now introducing boxing, but to be honest, they're a bit more amateur with the boxing. Um, I was grateful to be coached by Olympic coach. You know, I've, I have pretty high experience and I'm still in the game. Like I'm still, I'm still sparring guys who, who won, you know, a lot of accolades and whatnot. So I'm always learning. So I do have the visual skill set that people can see with the boxing and the basketball I could play at a decent level. So that's what kind of separates me. Um, it's not to boast. I just know that I have the boxing experience that a lot of these basketball guys don't have. Um, and I'm surrounding myself with people who just, you know, help me grow more and more, whether it be with uh, playing basketball with, with pros or boxing with pros. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm still in the game and I'm still learning and I still have, I have the experience over the guys who are kind of introducing it now. Um, and it's not the boast, but this is just the reality. And I believe in what I'm doing. That's the truth. Um, I'm just looking for one, you know, established player to give me opportunity. And I think from there, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to work out. So. Well, you're already at that, that G league level. Then the next step is tough, but, um, you know, you put in the time, you know, my, my page took multiple years before it started really growing. And mm-hmm. yeah, if you're patient, you trust yourself, you'll definitely get there with the knowledge. It sounds like you have, you said being trained by an Olympic level uh, trainer and, mm-hmm. and all that it sounds like you have the credibility and you said you play basketball at a high level. Uh, mm-hmm. like how high of level did you end up getting in basketball? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying like past high school, like, like how far of a level did you get in basketball? Well, I don't like, I don't, I feel bad because I'm, I'm talking so much about this, but I'll get to it. Like, I'll try to summarize it really quick. Um, I'm going to go back to what I said before about helping the kids. So pretty much I quit basketball and boxing at the age of like 13. So that's when someone really gets into it. And, and the reason is like, I came from like a rougher upbringing and the guidance wasn't really there. Um, and those sports obviously have pressure. And as a kid with nobody, you know, nobody at home pushing you or like really supporting you. And it's not like a, a sulking. I'm not trying to people make people feel sorry for me but the reality is i didn't have anyone so at the at the time it kind of shied me away from the sport so i quit both sports uh i got back into boxing and basketball around 21 22 when i already had that natural inner belief and confidence and to make the long story short i got picked up to like a men's league um because i guess someone saw me playing outside on the street whatever and uh we ended up winning a championship that summer and um the guys who i played against they're from my community they're a couple years older year older I know they went to, they played sports at the college level. So University of Ottawa, Sheridan, and we actually beat those guys. So when we beat them in the championship, and I I actually uh, contributed to the championship, right? Um, even though it's just a small win, just a men's league, whatever, that really inspired me to keep going with it. Like it, just, it was just so much fun to compete. Um, my whole thing is like, there'll be other kids out there who are about 13, 14, who also don't have that push. But if I make my platform big enough and they see the stuff that I preach, they might stick with it. They might use the same habits that I developed as an adult at their age of 13, 14 that will help them excel in the sport. So that goes back to my, my end goal. Um, I kind of want to be a leader for these kids because I didn't have that. Um, but now I'm playing against guys, honestly, like all youth sports, all college level. I'm at that level now. Sometimes some pros come by, I play with them too, and I'm always challenging myself, so I keep growing. Um, obviously, I'm just older now, but I could teach these things to the, to the, to the youth. You said that... Um... Yeah, you play. You're you're like five 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 six. So you said that you're yes. more like a point guard. So where do you uh, translate to? Are you more like a Steph Curry type shooter? You more yeah, like yeah. A Rubio? Uh, what's your game like, man? What's your game like? So funny enough, like I said, when I first started back when I was like early twenties, um, I was like scared to drive to the rim, but I had a three point shot and I could pass the ball and had pretty good handles. So at the time, I was more like a three and D type of player that could run the point. Um, as my confidence grew, now my game is more like a Fred Van Vliet. So I could really get in there. Um, and that goes back to my boxing training. I think my the boxing training gave me a, a incredible first step. Like my feet are light. Explosive first step. I could hit the three. I, I think my game's a lot like Van Vliet's. That's an interesting comp because uh, a bit of a bulldog is what, you, what it sounds like you're saying. Now, you're... now I am. But back then, like I was not at all. So like I want to get to those kids and like let them know like they have it in them. Some of those kids just need that push. So yeah. Yeah. When I was in high school, I was more of like uh, a driver, you know, just uh, tacking, 
yeah, slasher type of paint. I wasn't very tall, you know, like five, five, nine, maybe five, ten. Gotcha. Uh, ta- just attack the paint. Uh, but now as the years progressed, I've uh, developed a shot. Now I'm more of just a, a straight up shooter, like shooting guard type. But I would say, yeah, I started off more like a driver, just getting in the paint. So I could do it sometimes, but it's it takes a toll, man, on the body, on the yeah, knees. So for sure. I just like chilling outside, shooting threes. It's a lot more fun that way. <laughs> Especially when your shot's falling, just it makes the game so much easier. Yeah, if it's not falling, then I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to turn into a driver. But, you know, until then, I'm just like, whatever, I'm going to shoot. But, yeah, we talked a little bit about, you know, you grew up. You kind of stopped uh, watching basketball. I think this kind of transitions nicely into the Raptors because mm-hmm. when I was growing up uh, in high school, when I was like 15, 16 is when I really became a fan. I, I lost my fandom earlier. I was more of a hockey guy, and then I kind of mm-hmm. transitioned basketball when i was like in grade 10 and so that was during the 2015 2016 season is when i started to become a fan of the raptors so nice. when did you first become a fan of the toronto raptors so funny enough just like you like when i got to high school a lot of my friends uh they played hockey so i really got into hockey um, yeah i started to get back into basketball around 2013 and then i was yeah around 2013 um, then I was heavily like, you know, passionate about it around 2015, 2016, when they started winning again. Um, those were like the golden era of the foundation we set at a high level for Raptors basketball. 2015, yeah. 2016, I was like deep into it, passion. Yeah, let's talk about that year because that's one of my favorites, I would say, uh, you know. Uh, 2017, 2018, they're, they're great seasons individually, but I don't think the, the end result is great. So I think 2015, 16 is my probably my favorite year when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I fell in love with the game, I think it was that unprecedented run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Right, right. that was incredible. Uh, that, that really, yeah, was incredible. You had that young bench mob too. Yeah, that was uh, awesome. A few of the young guys on there, but um, you want to walk through maybe some of some of your favorite moments from that season? I don't know if anything sticks yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. That season, like that, that season just stuck out like crazy. I think it's because uh, although we won last year with Kawhi or two years ago with Kawhi, um, it just wasn't the same because those guys from 2015-2016, a lot of those guys were guys we drafted. The bench mom, as you said, and a lot of those players were were growing. Uh, Powell, um, Demar, obviously Lowry, so. There's these players like we had a, a connection with as a fan. Um, one moment that stuck out to me was uh, obviously the run was crazy. That run was actually insane. But in the regular season, when James Johnson dunked it on Drummond, uh, and he made that quote, uh, that was crazy too. One thing that I remember too is weirdly, this was back in the the Damari Carroll Luis Scola era. I remember yeah, just Luis Scola just putting up like twenty points in the quarters, backing guys up. <laughs> Hitting like you oh, know yeah. just eight in the mid range. I was just like, this guy's like so good, but so bad at the same time. It was just weird. Like, he, and he's still good right now. Like, he's in the he's overseas. He's still like he's old, but he's really good. And I just remember those moments being good. But then I think it really turned up when they they played that first round series against the the Indiana Pacers. Oh, I love that. One thing that stuck out to me was uh, where it went so deep in the series, and then Powell had that steal, that comeback. Remember, they're down twenty points. And uh, to tie the game, Powell stole it as a rookie and, and slam dunked it. Yeah, that was that was, that was a big moment. The the big huge. slam dunk that was his coming out party too, when he really uh, really stood out and became like a Raptors fan favorite because you know he obviously was a rookie young guy, but then in that playoff series is really where it was like this guy's putting up twenty points in a couple of games in the playoffs. He's looking yep. real special, and guarding and then this year he turned into uh, sorry what? Sorry, he's guarding Paul George too. 
Yeah, and then this year he suddenly turned into a 20-point-per-game guy. Um, were you sad when you saw him get traded this year? Yeah, of course. Like I always grow attachment to players who've been here for a while as rookies. Uh, yeah, I was pretty upset. I always want to keep the core together. I'd be a terrible GM because I, I develop a connection with all the players. But um, we got Gary Trent, so he's looking really good. Yeah, exactly. The The love for players kind of trumps everything, but I think it was the right move. He's going to be getting a lot of money this offseason, and hopefully uh, we'll see what happens with the Blazers. Hopefully he can make a little playoff run too. I think it'll be good for him. Uh, if he, makes, he has a few big plays, he could end up getting the bag this offseason potentially. Definitely, 100%. So, yeah, 2015-16, I think that, that Pacers series was huge, uh, winning that, that Game 7, obviously. I think they kind of blew the doors out at the end of that Game 7. But, yeah, they're led by Paul George, obviously. Uh, and then I think the, the big moment for me is in the Heat series, you've you got some vintage D-Wade. Uh, yep. But the big play was, even though they lost, that game was when Lowry hit that buzzer beater, uh, that buzzer beater uh, half-court heave. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I still remember where I was when I saw that. Crazy. Uh, absolutely shook that that went in. And, yeah, I think yeah. that game, that shot goes down as one of the greatest. Even though it already does, it probably would sit even higher, one of the greatest shots uh, in Raptors history. No, I agree. And I think uh, that was just – I thought the game was over. Everyone thought the game was over. Um, but another big moment was uh, – I think that what was so awesome about that year was the belief we had when we when we tied up the series against uh, uh, against LeBron. That was insane we started to believe that we could actually win the series. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you those first two games you get blown out. You have that massive Ron dunk. Um, blows right by Damari Carroll. Throws it down. And they're just dominating the Raptors. Uh, I feel like Jair Smith never misses a shot when he plays against the Raptors. On oh, God, that guy just becomes like <laughs> lights up from three against Toronto. And then other than that, he's just like a very solid role guy. But against Toronto, he's looking like a superstar. And then... Uh, yeah, you come back home for game three and game four and back to them. Huge games, obviously, from Lowry. And I, I think tomorrow had a big game four as well. So, yeah, I think that was a, obviously a big moment going back 2-2. Uh, but unfortunately, couldn't get all the way there. But I think uh, when I really fell in love with the game was that NBA final. And Kyrie go up against the 73-9 Warriors. That was probably the best series non-Raptors that I've ever watched in my entire life. Yeah, that was, that was incredible. And the, the Kyrie, like, clutch bucket to seal the series to win the cha- – oh, man. Yeah, that sidestep three over Curry. And then LeBron had that huge block yeah. as well. That was a game. And then even Kevin Love had a big uh, defensive play, I remember, with Curry on having him on an island. Curry, the one of the hardest players to guard in the NBA. And even now, like, he's actually become better, like, <laughs> harder to guard. I don't know how it's possible. He just gets better and better every year. Top three in the league. For sure, for sure. Um, do you have any comments on 2016, 2017, or 2017, 2018 that you want to bring up? Uh, obviously, we have like the the big surge of Baca trade where they sort of built the big three. You got P.J. Tucker. Uh, but I think those years uh, I tend to forget, even though they had uh, in 2017, 18, they went like 59 and whatever, 23, had that huge season. But I don't know if you have any big takeaways from those seasons or moments that you remember. Nothing significant, just the fact that we had a we had a winning culture at the time. So we were expected to win and we kept winning just dominating the regular season. And then we kept failing obviously in the playoffs, um going up against LeBron. But um that was just fun times, like as a as a Raptors fan, knowing you're the top team in the league year after year. We just couldn't get over the hump. Um just good times, just good flow at the time. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You see, um, obviously, in the offseason 2018, going into the 2019 season, uh, DeMar gets traded for Kawhi. But I think the big thing uh, that also happened was not only the addition of Kawhi Leonard, which was obviously huge, but the growth of Siakam off the bench, right? Oh, and with sure. the, this current Raptors team, uh, I think they have some something like eight undrafted players. So for Nick Nurse, I think the season was really tough because you don't have a lot of talent on the bench that you can really develop, right? Mm-hmm. And they've, they really struggled with that. Whereas these years, the ones we're talking about, these great years, you have like the bench mob. You have Fred Van Vliet and Siakam on the bench, two guys who grow to be potential all-stars. Mm-hmm. And whereas now it's like not to talk shit about any players necessarily, <laughs> but you've got like a bunch of undrafted players and like Utah Watanabe, you've got all these guys who mm-hmm. despite being really good and overperforming on the season, still just uh, a lack of super young talent on the mm-hmm. roster. So I'm excited to see uh, what they get in terms of like a draft pick. But do you have any takes on the – this season, uh, you know, the, the tough season, we'll call it the season to forget. Uh, yeah. Do you have any takes or anything you want to talk about for the season to forget? Well, like you said, I think, uh, well, first off with COVID, you know, I really took us behind. We, we went on a little run. It was looking bright, you know, possibly make the playoffs. But then after that, the COVID hit, the lineups were messed up. It wasn't consistent. All the vets were off for a period of time. But uh, in terms of the new players that we got, it gave them a lot of opportunity to show what they can do. And uh, they didn't disappoint. Like, these guys could play. They could play at a high level. These guys are dropping 30 a game, 25, on a regular basis. Like, each night's a different night for someone, um, which is great for the future. So I think this season as a write-off gave these young players a huge confidence boost because let's say, for example, it's like previous Raptors rosters. They're not going to get PT as much as they did this season. Um so now, as you know, as a basketball player, like once you do decent against certain competition, you're like, okay, I could play with these guys. Like I could, I could really play. Confidence is huge at any level. Um, and these guys got an opportunity to show what they can do. And I, I think the season, I think if they polish up, next season could look pretty good for the Raptors with uh, hopefully if Boucher and Siakam and, and Larry comes back, of course, Larry comes back, they lead these young guys. I think it's looking not bad. Um, we're just right there. We're, we're in so many close games with, the, with this new unit. We just can't close the games, but it comes with experience. Yeah, like just think about this roster, honestly, with, with all the talent that they have right now. You've got still got Siakam, you're going to have Fred Van Vliet. Mm-hmm. Uh, OG. We, yeah, we've got OG and Anobi. You've got, I think, the young guys that have been interesting for me, the three that are the most interesting are Malachi Flynn. I like Jalen Harris a lot. Mm-hmm. I actually liked him in college. I was shocked that he went at the 59th pick as a, just a certified bucket getter. He averaged over 20 in college. Like Who's 20- that, sorry? Uh, Jalen Harris. He's oh, yeah, uh, okay. yeah, their 59th pick this year. And then I think Gary Trent Jr. is the one that I think has superstar upside. Uh, wow. In addition to OG, too, is two of the young guys that are under like 24 years old. Uh, two guys that do it on both ends. And mm-hmm. I think if they become better ball handlers, I think they can really be um, the kind of players that you could lead your franchise with, in addition to Siakam and Van Vliet. And then Lowry, who knows if they try to assign a trade. I think that's the route unfortunately like in my opinion mm-hmm. i think that he's played his last game with the raptors but yeah i agree i think uh in terms of next season expectations i think they have that being not only in the playoffs but at least giving wait, teams a run for their money in a few series definitely the thing is with um to go on about what you're saying it's uh we have a winning culture so like we have these guys who nobody really gave a chance and they're always overperforming like even though the games don't mean anything 
you got Malachi Flynn dropping like 20 something points against Luka Doncic, right? That's like that's huge for his confidence. Um so with more games like next season they'll get more PT and like you said if those guys come back and they lead properly then the sky's the limit for them. I think you're right. I think they could upset some teams in the playoffs. Yeah, and I've, I've got, got a little list for you. Let me know if you agree. Uh, it's the top three free agents for the Raptors coming into next season. Number one, I think you'll agree, Masai Ujiri. Got to resign this man. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. technically a free agent. I think he's the big guy because, like you said, winning culture is built by Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, Nick Nurse. Like They've just got this winning infrastructure, and a lot of it rests on the shoulders of Masai Ujiri's ability to draft. And I think this year they'll also be adding that top, potentially top, four pick but probably in the top eight top nine that'll be really nice piece because massage loves to you know uh he loves drafting it's one of his favorite things to do and he's always seems to hit uh then i think the second guy in my opinion is gary trent jr and then third is lowry and in, in via sign and trade most likely but i think those are the three with gary trent jr being the young guy who five six years from now could be a superstar uh in mm-hmm. the league the guy you got to lock up uh, he's a restricted free agent, so he's going to be a tough guy. Um, and then Ken Birch, number four, probably. Do you agree with uh, with my little list I just made? Yeah, I fully agree. I actually didn't know that Gary Trent Jr. Uh, we didn't sign him. I, I didn't know we. I, I didn't know we had to resign him, but he's definitely a top priority. Yeah, he's a restricted free agent, so some team is going to give him an offer sheet, and we're going to have to match it most likely. But you know, you're going to probably be looking at somewhere in the four year. You know, 60 to 70 million is what I'm thinking with the way he's been playing. He had that 44 point game. Uh, he's just looking like a certified bucket. And he's honestly <laughs> a fiend on the perimeter, too. He is absolutely yeah, yeah. insane. Him yeah. and OG, I remember there was a game where they were, uh, it was a really close game where the Raptors ended up, I think, losing a clutch as usual. And uh, I think there was, it was just a play where they switched from OG to Gary Trent, or they switched like Gary Trent Jr. to OG in the pick and roll. And I was just like, man, that's such a switchable like thing to do. Like It's just like you're switching from a really good defender to another really good defender. Like Teams are going to struggle. Definitely. If you've got those two guys, you've got Siakam. Siakam, you can Van both. Vliet. Yeah, Van Vliet, too. Lowry. He's a, a dog. Lowry, if, if he stays. And I don't know. It's just like such a deep lineup. They just need to figure out the center position. I think Birch was amazing this year, uh, playing 30 minutes per game for us. Uh, I ended up giving him – I did a little grade thing before this. I ended up giving him an A. Because I thought he was just such a great player uh, for Toronto and significantly exceeded what I thought he would do. He averaged 12 points and almost eight rebounds, uh, just like an absolute monster for Toronto from like a five and five guy in Orlando. He basically doubled almost everything. It's all about opportunity. And I guess a lot of times these players excel with the Raptors organization. So I agree with all your picks. I'm with you on those picks. He's also a Canadian boy, and more importantly, he's getting fed from Lowry and Van Vliet. It's a pretty easy life as a big man going from that to uh, playing alongside like Vucevic and uh, Fournier, guys who like to get their own. I think you play with Lowry and Van Vliet, you're bound to uh, get a big paycheck. But uh, unfortunately with Aaron Baines, it was a bit of a struggle early in the years, uh, especially defensively. I felt that the, the team really took a step back from Abaka and Gasol to elite level defenders on the perimeter, uh, especially Ibaka on the perimeter, but Gasol down low. Uh, I think that that ended up taking a big toll on the team, right? Because we went from the number two seed to not even making the top 10. And, you know, the, the reason can't just be that we're in Tampa. I think the loss of Ibaka and Gasol uh, mm-hmm. got a little overshadowed as well. Definitely, 100%. Just the little things like the pick and roll with uh, Ibaka and Lowry. 
I remember uh, Lowry would try to would try to do that same pick and roll with Baines, and he's a, he's a step too slow. So little things like that do make a big difference in the court. Um, maybe, maybe you can get Aaron Baines and and do some boxing with him. I think you, I think he'd be a nice he'd be a fun guy to uh, to coach. And I think seems he like would, a solid guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think he could use some mobility improvement, you know. And I and yeah, he's he's probably like one of the most chill guys on the team as well. Like he just seems like a good hang um mm-hmm. random question any other guys that you see from either the raptors or any organization that you think is like a an all nba hang guy like a guy you'd want to hang out with um that's a good question actually i think abaka is a guy for me that just seems super cool. he cook you something really weird and you'd have to eat it and <laughs> it'd just be a whole funny thing i think that would be a sick guy to hang out with i think uh i think luca luca would be awesome to hang out with yeah, Luca would be sick. Um, with the Raptors, let's see. I think Fred VanVleet would be cool too. Siakam, yeah, those guys would be fun. Uh, well, uh, Kawhi would be hilarious too. Like Ka- hanging out with Kawhi, OG, and Ibaka would be like that'd be hilarious. Like those three specifically in a group, that'd be fun to be with those guys because those guys are they have a funny connection. Yeah, I agree. I think you got Ibaka, the the loud, social, fun guy, and then Kawhi is just like low key funny, and OG is also really low key funny yeah. in such a weird way that I think it would be it would be hilarious. But Ibaka brings out the comedy out of them, which makes it jokes. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so I think I think uh, that's that's it for the pod. That's all I've got for you. Do you have any last uh, closing remarks you want to chat about, or anything you you want to discuss? Uh, no, I just want to thank you, like I said before, for the opportunity to share briefly about my story. Um, I fully respect and support the page and, you know, giving a platform, being so consistent with the posts for fans such as myself. Um, that's a great thing you have going on. And I just want to thank you. Hey, man, appreciate it. Um, anywhere that the people listening can follow you on Instagram, Twitter, whatever else you want. Yes, please. So if you guys are interested, um, I go back and. I discussed a lot of things we talked about briefly in this podcast with the similarities between the sports, uh, the the mindset, um, you know, training, boxing, and basketball, just a little bit about what I preach today. You could follow me at KPAD Performance. It's spelled uh, K-P-A-D Performance, and that's on Instagram. Yeah. If you fo- also, by the way, if you do follow me, please, please send me a DM saying that you follow me, you heard me on the podcast. Uh, I greatly appreciate that. I'll follow back and hopefully you like my stuff. Yeah, anyone listening, I recommend giving him a follow. Uh, great page. You get to see him uh, boxing a little bit, uh, trying to intimidate the followers a little bit. But, you know, it's – uh, yeah, thanks, Christian, for your time. I really appreciate it. I'll, um, I'll let you go. But anytime you want to chat, man, I'm here. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thanks, man. Peace out. Take care.